So the reason why I asked you to bring your Bible is we're going to be spending a little bit of time in a particular passage, and it's just nice to have it in front of you um, when you when you're going through a passage. Um, we we spend a lot of time in Scripture, but this morning will be a little bit different in the sense of we really um, chewing on the Word, um, and I felt the Lord wanted to speak from the Book of Matthew. Um, and you're going to think I planned it all after you heard the testimonies, but I really didn't. Um, because being salt and light is in the passage that we're going to be reading this morning. Um, so in Matthew chapter 5, um, I'm going to be picking up on a few verses. But the theme that, there, that seems to flow through all of them is all about the good that you do. Um, the good deeds that you do. The good life that you live. Um, that, that seems to be the theme. Jesus is speaking about why we do good. And how we do good. And um, that's the theme. So um, just before we, we start on the words of Jesus, I want to just maybe even tackle a few misconceptions that might be a stumbling block to you before we even talk about the good that we do. Because the first question that Christians often wrestle with is, you know, why even bother to talk about the good that we do? Seeing, seeing as we're not saved by the good that we do. Um, so I want to read... Um, you, you can stay in Matthew, but on the board we'll put up Ephesians chapter 2, where it actually speaks about the good that we do and salvation and, and the relationship between the two. And it's such a beautiful passage that really helps me to understand what the relationship is between the good that we do and salvation itself, which is by faith. And it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the free gift of God, or it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just leave that up there. It's interesting. It's talking about the good that we do, and then it's also talking about the good that God did, because <laughs> we, we are actually His workmanship. Um, we are the good that, that God did in, when he made us. And so it says that salvation is not something that you earn by racking up points through the good deeds that you do. It's a gift. And um, if you think about being born, you know, there's nothing you do to be born biologically. It's a gift. Life is a gift. And the same goes with God. Our relationship with God is something he gives us. If he didn't give us relationship with himself, we couldn't earn it. It's nothing we could do. But he's given us relationship with himself, and he's done it through Jesus. Um, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He came to make a way for us to be reconciled with God. And so salvation is a gift which we access by faith through Jesus. And it says, so we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do good works. It says we were God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. In another translation, it says, for good works. We, we are saved for good works, um, which God has even prepared in advance for us to do. So God has made us in his image, and he's made us to do the things he does, to do the work he does, to continue his work, to be his hands and his feet in the world. And so that is the relationship between salvation and what we do. We're not saved by works. We're saved 
for good works. And that's exciting because it speaks about our purpose. It speaks about what we, are, what we are here for. We're not just here to breathe oxygen, but to actually do the good that God himself wants to do on the earth. Um, so, so that's the context for what Jesus is going to be speaking about. So maybe let's start in chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to read it from my Bible. 13, we're going to read until 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights the lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want to just pick up on that last line. In the same way, let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So actually, the good that we do isn't to draw attention to ourselves. It's to draw attention to our Father in heaven. It's got nothing to do about us or for us or to look good in front of others. And there's something beautiful in this because it speaks about your Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven is a good Father. And so by being made into His image, we do good because we, we are in the image of a God who is good. We do good because our Father does good. We love because our Father loves. And He often loves through us. And you would have experienced this uh, before. I, I often um, reference a very arbitrary passage in my life, but it really stood out for me. I remember being a bachelor and having um, man flu, which is obviously a lot more serious than the common cold, especially if you're a bachelor, uh, not yet married. So it was very serious, and I was at home feeling lonely, feeling very, very down and out. And I remember uh, my community um, took pity on me, and they, they made a little parcel of like soup and made lemon and some food and some Woolies soup, and um, somebody brought it. It was actually Adriana. Adriana brought it to my home and knocked on the door and just said, hey, just so you know, we love you and we haven't forgotten about you. And it changed my whole day. It felt like God himself had given me a hug. And you would know that feeling, right? It actually feels like God loves me. And so there's this mysterious relationship between God and his body. And so the Bible says one of the reasons why we do good, why we love, why we care for people is to glorify our Father. It's, it's to draw attention to a, a God who is good. And when we uh, stop doing good, people don't experience the goodness of our Father for, for, for them. And that goes within the church, but that also goes outside of the church. And then I want to go to verse 17. This is a very interesting passage. Um, chapters, we're still in, in chapter 5. And Jesus, uh, in verse 17, we'll read verse 17 to 20. Um, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the really surprising part. If you know anything about Pharisees, this will be surprising to you. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses or goes past or goes above that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a surprising thing to say. Unless our righteousness goes above or beyond that of the Pharisees, we'll never get into heaven. So, what what does he mean by that? And and, and I think what Jesus is, is, is talking about here is the fact that grace achieves far more than what the law ever could. The, the intention of the law was to give us a, a guide or a, a requirements of how we should live, how we should love. The law was given to give you in minute detail how you should love your brother. But it never accomplished its purpose because people just constantly fell short of the law. They, they, they remained selfish and self-centered and they constantly fell short of the law and they constantly felt condemned by how much they were not doing under the law. But grace comes, and grace actually changes us from the inside so that we actually become like Christ, and therefore we begin to do what Christ does. And so there's two aspects to to grace. One is the forgiveness aspect, we're forgiven. And the second aspect is that there's a transformative aspect to grace. It actually enables you to grow in love. And so the implication of this verse is that true Christians will actually become good people. It's not instant, but there's a transformative aspect to grace. And, and, and we'll become good people to the extent that our love would far surpass those of the Pharisees. Our good deeds would far surpass those of the Pharisees because of grace, because of the transformative power of grace. And so it's very important to God that we do grow in grace, that we do become good people, people who love genuinely. It's very important to God. In fact, it's so important to God, it actually glorifies God. It actually brings Him honor. It actually um, makes His fame and His renown um, extend throughout the earth, through our actions, through our lives. And so it's no small thing. That, we, what, that, that our lives are, um, they, they, they look like Jesus. We love like Jesus. We care like Jesus. That we don't grow weary in doing good. And so my challenge to you this morning is, are you still growing? Are you still growing in love? Are you still allowing God to challenge you and to transform you? Do you the, the, the question the Bible would ask is, do you still do the things that you did at first? That's what true love looks like, to do the things you did at first and to be faithful in doing good, to be faithful in loving others as much as you love yourself. It's a challenge to each, to each and every one of us. In, um, in, in, in marriage, 
it's a good picture for life. You know, when, when, when you first get married, the things that you do for love, and then after 10 or 15 years, am I still doing those things? And am I still doing it for the sake of love? But marriage is just a small picture of, of life generally. We, when we first get saved, we can be so filled with zeal and a desire to, to love people and to care for God's people. But the challenge of Christianity is to keep going back and doing the things we did at first. And to do it for the same reasons we did it at first. In Matthew chapter 5, verse, going a little bit on, verse 43, Jesus, you know, he always starts at a certain level and you think, well, that's quite challenging. And then he just goes way deeper than that. And you think, wow, you just raised the bar even higher than that. And yet, so, he's, so we've been speaking about loving people within the context of church. But then he just raises the bar even higher and says in verse 43, You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is so fascinating. For God, he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's talking now about our motivation, why we love. And this is really goes down to the root of our motivations. When we talk about the good that we do, God is very concerned about why we do the good that we do. And the real test comes with our enemies. Whatever our motives may have been with our friends get revealed when we are doing it with our enemies. Because with friends and with family and even within church, our motive can often be that we do good to people because we know they're going to do, do good back to us. That there's an ulterior motive that by giving I'm actually investing and I'll get back. But with enemies you don't. You know, it's not a reciprocal love. It's very much one directional. And that is the kind of love that, that God has called us to. And, and so one very good question to ask yourself is, when you're serving hard, when you're being diligent and loving people and, and caring for people, how important is it to you that they do the same back to you to the extent that you did it to them? If it causes your heart to be grieved and to want to stop loving because people are not loving you back in the same degree, that actually is God trying to show you your motive's not right. That's not how God loves. Jesus loved us when we were still enemies, and he actually died on the cross for us while we still were enemies of God, not because we had done anything that merited his love. And so that's what it's talking about. You know, when, if you only greet your neighbor and your friends, what are you doing more than the tax collectors who were known for being self-centered and selfish? You know, making friends with the right people to, 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 to gain influence and, and power. And so the challenge of, of the love of God is that our motivation is actually not what I can get from you, but it's to love you because I am loved by my Father and He loves you. 
And so I'm loving you on his behalf. I, I am loving you the way that he loves you. And actually what I'm doing is to please God. And I know it's pleasing to him. And, it's, and as I do it, I've, I experience his grace. I experience his favor. If you've ever tried to love your enemies and pray for them, it's really hard. But what's interesting is that when you do it, you actually experience the grace of God in a, in a, different, in a different kind of way. Amen? And so loving your enemies is the real test of doing things for the right reason. Um, and, and can I say that in the world that we live in, it's very common for people to do good. It's very trendy right now to, to be a, a do-gooder, especially in society, especially helping underprivileged people and all of these things. And what's especially important is that you get it captured for social media. Uh, I've actually, you know when you're prepping a sermon and something comes across your path on social media and you think that can only have been God. The timing of that. Don't you, do, have you got that? Please don't play the audio, it's terrible, but the, 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 the video is great. This is a, something that happened on social media recently. So I'll tell you the story. So this woman is collecting rubbish on the beach because that's a very good thing to do, to clean our beaches, Right? to make sure that our beaches stay nice and clear. There she's got her friend capturing the whole thing for social media on the far left. What she doesn't know is there's somebody else that's filming the whole scenario. So there's her, her striving very hard because she's such a good person to get that heavy bag of rubbish up the beach. Just making sure it got all captured. And there's her doing her happy dance because obviously dances are important if it's on TikTok. And then she leaves the bag and heads on her merry way. <laughs> There's a lot of irony in this picture. Okay, you can cut the full. So the irony of the, of the whole situation is most of what she put in the bag was biodegradable. But the plastic bag that she left on the bag on the beach obviously wasn't biodegradable. So in the in the end, whilst she would have gotten a lot of likes on social media. It did nothing for the environment. Um, but Jesus actually, as, as hilarious as this all sounds, Jesus actually warned us often about doing our good works for people to see rather than because of our, our, our heart towards God. And so as ridiculous as that is, the Bible says when we do things for people but it's not motivated by love, the verse says it's like a clanging gong. To God, that's how beautiful it is to Him. Somebody with a very loud, like gong, and making you know, like a loud racket. I'm quite sensitive to horrible sounds, so that scripture really strikes a chord with me. It, you know, we we can do good things even in the church, and can I say, especially upfront ministries in the church, where it's actually more about people seeing how talented we are, and more about our airtime, and and I know that it's a wrestle in the heart, so. Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm, what I'm not saying. But this desire to be seen and seen as influential and seen, seen as very spiritual means nothing to God. I, I actually often think God would prefer you don't do it at all. Because if it's not done because of the love for God, it's actually just striving, it's dead religion, and it, and, and it doesn't benefit people, and it doesn't, it doesn't bring glory to our Father. And so Jesus actually said... Um, in about when he was talking about um, prayer, 
he, he speaks about praying with the door closed. <laughs> Let's read it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. This is the last passage from Matthew that we'll look at. He speaks about a lot of things. He speaks about how you give, um, how you fast, and he speaks about how you pray. Verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. That's quite a shocking thing to say, by the way. Like if you did it for people, that was your reward. The likes you got on Facebook, that was it. There won't be any rewards for you in heaven. You already had your reward. So this woman's rewards were what she got there on TikTok. Right? That's the extent of it. I'm knocking on that woman, but I'm, the point is that we do the same thing, right? I do the same thing from time to time. Hopefully not too often, but it happens. Um, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need even before you ask Him. There's something really beautiful about this passage, which I think is at the heart of everything Jesus has been saying in this passage, which is that it's really important why you do what you do. It's because we've got a Father in heaven. It's one of my favorite names for God, my Father. It's intimate. And so when we pray, we close the door and we pray to our Father in heaven who loves us, who, who, who is, is pleased to give us the kingdom, um, who, who listens to us, who cares about us, who wants to know what's on our hearts. And we go from that place and we do good for the Father who we've prayed to in private. And so I want to even use this as an analogy of spirituality that's done in the private place versus spirituality that's done on the street corner. The one that counts is the one that's done for my father, my father who already loves me. And I'm doing it because I love him. Not to earn my way into heaven, but to do good because he is good. And he's been so good to me. And I overflow towards others in my love. And there's something here about a spirituality which is intimate and a spirituality which is fake. Spirituality which is dependent on what people see and what people think. And the kind of spirituality which is based on what people think actually creates anxiety and emptiness and insecurity. But spirituality that's done out of a place of being loved by my Father is actually meaningful. And it, and it brings on us the favor of the Lord. I can feel the smile of my Father over me in heaven. And so I want to just encourage you, in whatever form of doing good, we can talk about within the church, whether you're faithfully serving in the church, maybe week after week, and you're working hard. Well done. But don't forget why you do what you do. It's because of a Father in heaven who loves you who loves to do good. And amazing how God in heaven, there's no task which God considers beneath him. Isn't that amazing? How do we know that? Well, Jesus washed feet. He's God in heaven, and yet he doesn't consider certain tasks to be super important and worthy of him and other tasks beneath him. Can I say in the church it's exactly the same? 
There's no task in the church which is beneath me. There's no task in the church or service or act of love that's, I've graduated from that. I don't do those things anymore. Amen? Can never be. It must never be. In our minds, we shouldn't have, you know, like a a measure of the important things that that I do and, and where am I in my maturity and these are the things I do now. That's not how Christ thinks at all. I lead this church, but there's nothing that's beneath me in doing in this church. And it must never be that way. Otherwise, I don't represent Christ at all. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. If you're working hard in the kingdom, well done. Don't grow weary. Continue to do good. But continue to remember why you do what you do. Not to be praised by men. As much as we need encouragement from people, we don't do it for the encouragement of people. Amen? This is how we, 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 we are rooted deeply in Christ. Our, our roots are not in meriting our way to heaven. It's through relationship with him. But God does want us to be fruitful. In John 15, it talks about the vine and the branches. It says we remain in Christ. But the goal is fruitfulness. The goal is that we do produce love and care, that we don't forget to encourage one another, love one another. That when people are sick amongst us, that we care for one another. That those things never become beneath us. And that those things never become something which somebody else will probably do. Can I say that if we ever grow big, so big that we're always thinking that somebody else will do it. And we don't every time ask ourselves, God, do you want me to do this? We'll actually stop loving the way that God intends us to. Amen? There is a danger when you get big as a church that... You know, we're so big now, I'm sure somebody else will think of doing it. And that, that, that will actually prevent us from being the healthy body that God's called us to be. So let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you for this morning. It's almost like you want to strip away all the exterior um, superficial things. And bring us back to what love really is, which is to enjoy you, God, and to enjoy being loved by you, to enjoy having you as our Father. That salvation is a free gift. We don't earn our way into your your kingdom. But Lord, now that we are loved, we want to share it with others. God, I want to say thank you for the light that is shining from us. But Lord, may it not grow dim. May we not grow weary of doing good. May we work hard in your kingdom, but do it for the right reasons, Lord, and stay refreshed while we do it. Lord, I want to even pray for each and every saint here that's maybe grown weary of doing good and maybe even doesn't do the things they used to do. Lord, would you bring us back? We want to be fruitful for you, Lord. We want the world to experience love. We want this church to experience your love through us. In Jesus' name.